Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We're talking today about family banking strategy with privatized banking. And you have seen these faces before. Bruce Weiner is my co-host. He's with me on almost 100% of my shows, our shows together that we do here on the Money Advantage. And we have John Moyarty with us again as a repeat guest. And we are really excited to bring him onto the show to talk about family banking strategy and how he's personally using this in his life. Good morning and welcome back to the show, John. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, John. You know, I think uh, to open this up, um, a lot of people like to put this mystery about this privatized banking or infinite banking system or the wealth factory or or um, bank on yourself, whatever you want to call it, it drives me crazy. It really is just sound money principles. Um, it's just how do you actually take control of the banking function yourself? It's not it's not magic. It, it isn't it isn't anything that uh, a disciplined person can't do. So if you consider yourself a disciplined person, if you want your money to, to be working for you in multiple ways, then this is this is just a hopefully a simple explanation by John and I who, who have been doing this. Well, I've been doing it and not even knowing it. I think I mentioned this on the on the the, the podcast on before, the since before. the eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. Since the eighties, when I took out my first whole life insurance uh, contract. And actually, my mother and father did it, and uh, I purchased my first home with the cash value, mm-hmm. and then I purchased my second home with the cash value. I mean, it's it isn't anything that people should think that uh, oh, it's too good to be true, or um, I don't understand what these people are doing. It's very simple content. It's kind of like politics. It's very simple if you just make it simple. That's right. awesome <laughs> and a great lead-in. And so, if you've heard anyone, or if you've heard us three on the show before. John Moyarty is the founder and the president of E3 Consultants Group. He and Bruce work together in St. Louis. And we I just love being able to talk with you guys. I think it's really exciting. We're in privatized banking, but our policy, our first policy started in 2012. So we're not quite as far in as you guys. And so really the value of being able to show what we're talking about today and really dig into the numbers is being able to recognize not only how this money grows and how you're able to use it, but really that it's something substantial enough that's valuable over a long period of time to really use as a way to step out or secede from the banking system in a way that you're really taking over that banking function, Bruce, as you just said. So, um, so John, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation today. This is a little unique because we're going to be showing numbers and details on the screen. So if you are with us on Facebook, YouTube live, you're welcome to ask questions. We're going to be walking through the numbers and hopefully just really providing a real treat for you to be able to see how these these policies interact in a whole family banking system. So, awesome. Yeah, Rachel, if you want to show that one, the, the summary, uh, yes. the kind of summary presentation. And I, I created this not too long ago, mainly because when I have conversations with clients or entrepreneurs, business owners, you know, people that have done a great job of saving, um, I, I, I talk to them about 
privatized banking as a cash flow management tool, you know, and I kind of look at it as a business owner. What, what am I doing with my cash? How's my money working for me? And where am I storing that cash? So exactly the, you know, the, the show and tell method that we learned when we were in, you know, kindergarten and elementary school is just something that's always stuck with me from an educational perspective. So a lot of times when people want to know why you're recommending something, sometimes it's easy to say, well, here's what I'm doing. And I just, I'm an open book. I have no problem sharing what we've done because it allows me to show people that I have a entrepreneurial mindset. So when I put this mm-hmm. together and said, Hey, this is, this is something I've been doing. My family's been utilizing since September of 2009. That's when we set up the first contract that I look at as a specially designed life insurance contract. That does not mean we haven't used life insurance. I've actually used life insurance, like Bruce was saying, as a tool in my financial situation, my overall financial picture since 1995 when I got into the business. So actually, three of these policies were seeded with money from other life insurance contracts. They're actually variable life contracts that I set up back in 1995 because back in the mid nineties, that's what you did. You used variable life because that was the best thing for you. And you know, all those other reasons. And supposedly, um, so, right. Right. So I, I think it's important to understand this isn't something new. It's not something new to me, but actually designing things in a specific way began in 2009. So, you know, we're basically approaching our, our into our 11th year and we have, my wife and I have four policies that are in our banking system, right? So this isn't about one policy being a bank. This is about having a system. And we have structured two of those policies to be owned by irrevocable trust. That's not how they were originally set up. That's how they're set up today. You know, so again, we have that for estate planning, asset protection, different reasons. And then two uh, policies are owned by um, my operational LLC, and that's for business. So you'll, you'll see the balance as we kind of go through things. So if you want to go to the next Yeah, um, one thing page. I actually want to point out really quickly, sure. you mentioned that they weren't originally owned by Irrevocable Trust, but now they are. So I just want to point out, if you're listening and you say, I currently don't have something owned by a trust, but I want to change that ownership. Ownership is something that you can update, as John just mentioned that he did. And then you can have your business own a life insurance policy as well. So just wanted to highlight those things and make sure that you caught those. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Okay. So this is just me, you know, kind of being an open book on the personal side. We've used these policies for home improvements, paying taxes, family vacations, charitable donations. Um, I've, I've used it. Uh, to make um, personal loans to family members. I, I would refer to that as the family tax. Um, I've used it for, uh, no, I didn't get a laugh from either of you there. I, 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 I caught you. Yeah, John, <laughs> John, you didn't get a laugh from me because I've done the same thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Everybody saved the tax. So, and then I've used it for fun things, you know, golf trips. I've, I've used it for down payments on properties. And then if you go to the next screen, um, it'll show what I've used uh, policies for in the business, you know, office furniture, upgrading infrastructure, um, expansion, strategic acquisitions, equity investment in different um, companies, uh, private debt, uh, tax strategies. I've used, I've even used the policies at one point for collateral for favorable bank financing. And then I refinanced that and released my policy. So, the, the bottom line here is 
I've used it for a lot of different things. There is no one thing that I look at and say, well, this is what you have to use it for. My point is when, when I've gotten to a period where I had so much capital running through my policies and so much money being utilized, I've basically figured out that what I could use that money for was really infinite. Like there, there, there wasn't, you know, one little thing or I had to focus on now. If I'm an individual who doesn't keep really good records or who doesn't manage my cash flow, you know, I, I, you know, keep, you know, I've, I've got books for all of my businesses. I run um, my quarterly financials on my businesses. Um, I, I keep, you know, basically books for the, my, our, our personal economy for my family. So I know where every dollar is going, or I should say, I keep a record of where everything's going after the fact, you mm-hmm. know, so I, I know how we're using money and cash flow. So the point here is when I go to my policies and say, I want to utilize them, I'm doing that from a position of knowledge and I'm doing it from a position where I want to be strategic. I'm not just saying, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I need to do this. I'm going to go to my policy. I have, I still have money in the bank. I still have other assets. Um, you know, I carry a, a good amount of money in cash in my businesses um, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, one, because of all the different investment opportunities I'm in. Other reasons are, you know, I like to be able to show for, you know, when you're dealing with banks and other financial institutions, if all you're doing is pulling money out of your policies, sometimes that's a difficult thing because banks don't understand how these policies work. So, you know, again, sometimes you have to quote unquote play the game and let, unless you're fully seceded from the system, you, you've got to understand how the system works. But the, the bottom line is these tools allow me a ton of flexibility. They allow my money to be working for me while mm-hmm. it's out in investments. And that's kind of what the next, um, the next page shows from a, you know, kind of a, a graph or, you know, a, a visual, you know, when I, when I talk about my, our family bank, uh, we, we, I try to help people understand, you know, we're saving money, then we're utilizing it, then we're replenishing it. So I think if you That's go to awesome. the next Give me one second. Page, I want to point but, out something sure. that you said here, just to kind of bring some language around this. So if you, as a listener or somebody who's watching right now is thinking, hey, he's not putting all of the cash value into investments, not all of the things you're putting money into using, utilizing your policy for are something that is going to grow your wealth. Some are vacations. Some are things that you mentioned, the loans to family members or um, for other things on this page back here, charitable donations. That's not necessarily increasing your net worth or providing a return that you're hoping to boost returns. The, The value of this is as an emergency and opportunity fund. It's a reserve pool of capital that you can use for, as I love how you said, for infinite things for anything you decide that you would like to use cash for. And so that is the value of having cash value inside a life insurance policy because it offers you this financing financing opportunity in a unique way. Exactly. So here you go. Yeah. So, and, and what you just said kind of is a great segue into this screen. So basically this is, this is how I teach and educate people. And I, you know, all the numbers that are on here, we'll actually be able to see because, you know, for your listeners and your viewers, we're going to share, I'm going to actually show the last annual statement for each of these policies. So you can see that there's money that's been in them. There's money that's come out. There's money that's been paid back. But in essence, 
you know, collectively about 1.9 million has been saved into these policies. A little over 2 million has been borrowed and then a little over a million has been replenished. And the, the reason that I, I try to help people understand why this is important is this is not just, okay, well, I, I put money in, I borrow money, and then I immediately pay back. It's a process. So some of those things that I've used the money for, I'm paying back because like you were saying, it's not really adding to my net worth. It's not increasing my wealth. So I'm trying to pay those things back quicker. Other things like other investments that I've made, I'm my plan and the way that the reason I made those investments were they're they're going to provide me with a liquidity event down the road. And my plan is when that liquidity event happens or I receive larger chunks of money, I have a place to store that money, mm-hmm. you know, and then I will continue to kind of cycle those dollars through. But the important that, thing, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and that no, could be relevant to somebody who's maybe if you are purchasing a real estate property that you plan to flip, that would be something when, when you say liquidity yeah. event, you're thinking this is not necessarily a cash flow long-term year in and year out. I'm going to earn a cash flow return on this. This is something where I'm expecting I invest now and five years from now, I'm going to get a lump sum or a windfall mm-hmm. or something that I'm going to then be able to pay back all at once. And so that is another thing that we talk about regularly that you can pay back however and whenever you choose, but always have a plan. I mean, Bruce, this is something we talk about all the time. Don't borrow money against your policy without having any idea of how you're going to repay it. And you're saying, John, I've planned certain things I pay back more quickly, certain things I know Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lump sum, certain things I know it's going to be a a faster or a longer repayment over a monthly or annual basis. So I love how you are bringing that to the forefront and just really showing the the feet on that theory and, and strategy. And the, and the other component to that is the reason I structured things the way I did is I want that 1.9 million, that, that capital that's been put into the system, that's what's actually creating that quote unquote and asset, right? Because I've got, I got that money working for me now and then I can leverage against it. So that money's earned over $300,000 of dividends. Those dividends and guaranteed interest are continuing to compound. You know, I've got the net cash value that's available add new premiums. Some years I'm adding to the the premium side. Sometimes I'm paying back on the loans. It just really depends on the policies. Um, I think the other component to this is I also know when I look at my loan balance, you know, if I've got a $1.2 million loan balance, I'm able to know, well, how much of that is actual principal, how much of that is interest. The reason that's important to me is I know that if I pay back the full loan, that that money's not going to me, right? Part of that interest is going to the life insurance company, but it will release about 215,000 of my gross cash value that I will have access to that's being used as collateral for the loan. So I do know that it will improve what I'm able to use from a banking perspective in the future, but I also know my my gross cash value will not grow by 215,000 if I pay that interest back. But my access to my gross cash value will grow because it's being used as collateral. So this is something where I think the mystic thought process or the it's too good to be true or, you know, sometimes the maybe the lack of education or miseducation by some financial professionals where they try to say, you know, you're paying yourself interest or you're, you know, that's, you know, I I lay it out for people and just say, look, this there's opportunity costs. 
there's, you know, um, restrictions on access to capital, but this thing does what we say it's going to do. It's just not more than what we're telling you it is. You know, this is a safe place to store money. It's going to make a three, 4% long-term tax free, and it's going to create an and asset. That's what this does. And from a cash flow tool, that's pretty awesome when you also factor in the way that you can use this in your overall financial situation, both personal and business economy, as well as the life insurance component. Because the amount of life insurance I have, which we'll show in a little bit, is, is pretty substantial. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm able to use that in a myriad of ways to protect my family and you know, our, our ultimate goals. So, John, I think one of the key points in this page is people all the time say, well, why would I want to borrow my own money? You know, they, they, they ask that all the time. I have to pay interest on this. And I think if you, if you see right now, the interest earned is actually, or excuse me, the dividends earned are actually greater than the interest charged. And Mm -hmm. um, as you continue to fund these policies and the premiums, however you want to fund the the premiums, whether you want to fund the base the PUAs. And that's what you were talking about earlier is, is, you know, do I always fund the premium completely? Do I pay some of it back in loan? And that, that all depends on your cash flow at, the, at that particular time. Um, and then when people look at the IRR from the, uh, pre- the previous page of 15%, you, so you, you borrowed um, at a 5% and then you made oh, yeah. 15% internal rate of return. Another point that we brought up on the show over and over is people say, well, that's a 10% um, uh, profit margin on there. And it's actually not a 10%. It's a 200% uh, profit margin on your money. And that is a concept that we cannot get across enough to people because they think, and and Todd Lankford, I think is the first one who really said to us, Hey, we need to make people understand Mm -hmm. this, that uh, when you're, when you're borrowing at 5% and you're making 15%, you're not making 10% on your money you're making a 200% increase on your money. And that is how you really get acceleration of your net worth when you do this. So I think those Absolutely. are just the key points, the key points on this, these two slides that I wanted to point out. Yeah, Absolutely. I think, uh, go ahead, Rachel. I no, think you're, you're going to say Go something. ahead, go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say that the biggest thing with this is to show how as over time, you continue to accumulate capital inside of a, your banking system. The, the, the benefits of the uninterrupted compound growth and how your money's working for me, it continues to grow. So now that I'm 11 years in, I have so much flexibility. I have so many different things that I can do. But the bottom line is all of that capital, that 1.9 million that I've put into my system, that is working for me. So the idea is you, you get money to grow and work for you in a collective fashion. That is way better than what the traditional banking system or the typical banking system allows for people today. So when I talk to clients about, oh, you know, well, what this is going to do, what it is, what it isn't. And, you know, they're like, well, three, four percent. How does that, you know, how is that really valuable? I'm like, well, right now you're making zero. And you're actually making less than zero because of all the opportunity costs. So the magnitude of that is not what you make on it today. It's what you're going to make on it 10, 20, 30 years from now. You know, so if I've got all this money working for me over the next 30 years, that's going to be a substantial difference. And it's not about the rate of return. It's about the actual dollars that I have access to. And I think that's where 
on the next couple of screens, we kind of, um, we kind of walk through that um, with clients. All right. So we'll go on to the next screen. I think there's so many great points. Actually, um, one thing I do want to point out here that you mentioned opportunity cost and the, the, the increase over time. What's really interesting is if you think about what else, if, if we weren't talking about privatized banking, if John in his Moriarty family financial system said, okay, well, I have this 1.9 million that over these 11 years, I would have saved somewhere else. Maybe that was the bank. And you put that in the bank instead, that would have been, again, growing it next to nothing. But the key is that if you would put the money in the bank and then take it out to pay cash for something, then put money in and take it out, you are resetting that compound interest curve every single time you use that money, which then creates this giant opportunity cost because with the privatized banking system, your money continues to grow whether you're using it outside of the policy or not. And that's one of the tremendous values that you get by using the family banking system with privatized banking. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Here you go. And 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 this is this is just a lot a lot more detail. So it's, you know, for the engineers and the other people that want to know, you know, what where did the money come from? 1.7 in policy premiums, 183,000 from other life insurance contracts, like I mentioned earlier. Um, I've taken 26 different loans, um, show the interest, show the amount of loans, the balance remaining, the access you know, to what's my net cash surrender value. And then I do like a quick calculation of you know, how much of my net capital is actually accessible. So you know, essentially of the 1.9 million that I've contributed, about 96% of that has been available to me so far. Now, you know, that's 10 years in, I've got four different policies at different windows of time. Um, but the bottom line is, I know that that number is going to get above 100%, it's going to continue growing, but I've been using this money the whole time. I, that money hasn't been stagnant, it hasn't been sitting there. And that's another thing that I try to help people understand when you when you look at the opportunity cost of the strategy where I can't get to all of my money right away, mm-hmm. how do I offset that? Well, I offset it by having money that's going to compound for me forever. And also the idea that I can leverage those dollars and, and really create long-term return where I'm making 3 4% in the, in the policy and whatever else outside the policy. You know, so if I'm making 12% of my money, with what I'm doing outside and I'm making three inside, well, I'm really making 15. That type mm-hmm. of leverage is valuable because a 12% return and a 15% return, you know, to Bruce's point, that's not just 3% different. You know, that's actually a 25% enhancement on my returns because I go from 12 to 15. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest element to this, and I try to help people understand is you want to be working with financial professionals that understand the cash flow element that, that help you not just, okay, set one of these up and then be like, okay, well, here you go. It's like, you know, when you have a baby and you leave the hospital and they just say, here, you know, it's yours, go. It's, it's not like that. You know, this is- Good thing parents don't do that with their kids. <laughs> we brought yeah, you home. Right, exactly. <laughs> All yeah, right, we'll see it, you in 12 yeah, years. Bring it, that's right, bring <laughs> it back. Um, I think the most important thing to me is you're working with a financial professional that's going to help guide you on how you utilize these contracts, but also how you're replenishing them. And I'm just, um, so you guys know, and your um, listeners and viewers know, I am 100% okay if anybody that's watching this or listening, if they want a copy of these slides or a copy of anything on the annual statements, 
feel free to send it to them. You know, sometimes I think folks got to, they got to, you know, they might see it on screen, but they really want to see it in front of them. That's great. Send them the, send them the statements because everything we have highlighted is going to back up these numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I say here, these numbers are based on June 1st. The um, actual annual statements are going to be a little further because they're um, July, August, and September dates. So the numbers might be a little bit different, but you're going to get the gist of how the policies have actually been utilized. So I, and just I to, make to make a that point statement. on that, we are going to be providing these statements and this presentation, if you will, the PowerPoint slides of this on themoneyadvantage.com. So you'll go to the show notes for this episode and they are available as a download, both on this episode and the previous episode that you did with us talking through your privatized banking system. So um, awesome. just want to make sure that our audience knows that you get that at themoneyadvantage.com. I just want to bring up a point real quick here as we're talking about this net accessible capital. What John is referring to here is the main idea that if I put, just say, $100,000 into a policy in year one, I'm not going to have access to all of that $100,000 the first year. But what happens is we have between, I don't remember the exact amounts and I could pull them up, but probably about 70 to 75% of your cash that you put in in the first year is accessible in the first year. In, gen- then, yeah, in general designs, they can, it can be up and down, depends on the person's right. age. I mean, there's all kinds of things, but in general, we're hoping uh, a well-designed policy will be, have between 70 to 75%. And there's a variety of reasons for that design. It could it, it not only access to capital, but also uh, long-term growth and also uh, death benefit needs. So there's there's all kinds of reasons for those designs. Right. And again, Bruce, to your point that it's going to be a little different for each person, Mm -hmm. but that can sometimes be the main hangup or the main challenge in the first year saying, well, in year one, I'm putting this money in and I don't have access to use all of it. And the reason is that there's the internal cost of the policy and you are building a privatized banking system. You are capitalizing a policy. Now we're looking at here, John being 11 years in. And again, we're talking about spread over four different policies, but he has access to 96.4% of all of the premiums that he's ever paid into his privatized banking system. Now, and then if you caught what John said, he said after this, it's just continuing to increase and improve and go up. And so normally between, if you're just looking at one policy, again, all the factors that Bruce, you mentioned are going to be at play, but somewhere usually between about years five and nine, you're going to hit that complete break-even point where all the dollars that I've paid in premiums are completely available to me in cash value. And everything beyond that point in time begins to be growth. Now, this comes back to the whole idea that you know, the whole compound interest curve in the first years feels really, really boring and really slow. And you do have that lack of liquidity in the early years, but this privatized banking strategy is a long-term perspective. This is a long-term wealth builder. And when you think about the 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 positives and all of the great things that it's doing for you for your whole entire life, that's just a small blip in time on the radar of your whole life. Absolutely. And a couple of things to add to that, Rachel. Number one, um, there's a reason that you don't want to have access to 100% of your cash in this type of contract because the IRS will then disallow the treatment of your policy as a life insurance contract. It'll be treated as a modified endowment contract and you'll lose all the long-term tax benefits. So that's one reason. Second thing is, and you just got to think about this, when you um, when you buy assets and finance them or leverage them um, with a financial institution like a bank, 
you know, in very, I mean, unique circumstances, maybe you can buy a asset with no money down, or maybe you can get into it, but there's got to be some type of equity, right? There's got to be something that you're putting on the line as collateral, you know? So if you buy a normal property, you got to put 20, 25% down. Okay. Well, that is no different than what you're doing here with your, your, uh, your policies, right? You're, you're basically giving up access to say 25, 30% of your equity up front. And that's going to, you know, be provided to you over time. Just like if you buy real estate and the real estate appreciates, you get access to more of that equity, but you're still accessing it at the same percentage. No different than if you have a brokerage account and you go to your um, investment firm and you want to do a margin loan, they're not going to give you a margin loan on 100% of your equities. They're going to give you a, a percentage. So this is not just about the insurance companies not giving you access to money. This is how financial institutions work. This is how leverage works. You've got to have equity involved in order to get the long-term benefits. So again, from an educational perspective, when you start to think that way, this becomes more normalized as a tool. But the bottom line is, it's still way better than having access to 100% of your cash sitting in the bank, making you nothing and earning you nothing over your lifetime. And by the way, that wouldn't have a death benefit either. Correct. Right. Which here, you know, pretty sizable death benefit based on my wife and I's age when we um, took out these policies, you know, so the whole life side of it, we're getting almost five times the amount of coverage to the amount of capital we contributed. And then I also have a term policy um, that I just basically wanted more death benefit, stuck a term writer on there. So it gives me the capabilities, you know, not knowing what my health is going to be like in the future. If anything would change, I've got that extra five million basically of, um, you know, real estate that I can go out and buy and then set up, you know, a fifth policy with with those dollars. So that's, again, financial leverage for me to use in the future. And I love that you brought that up because we believe not only in using life insurance as a tool to store cash, because it is but also the death benefit is extremely important in your long-term legacy planning and just in good common sense of taking care of your kids as best as possible. And as you mentioned, providing that window of opportunity for you to get more whole life insurance with privatized banking in the future, even if your health is not as pristine as it is today. And so sometimes you may be in a position where you say, you know, I can get 9 million of life insurance coverage with my current cash flow level to get that much death benefit. But I have additional human life value. That's the term that is your entire amount of capital that you would produce during your lifetime at your current income level. And the life insurance company is calculating this. It's also the same amount that an attorney would call for to be paid out if you were killed in a wrongful death claim. And so it's a legal terminology, human life value, but this is really, really important to make sure that we're not just focused on the place to store cash piece, but also looking at the life insurance death benefit component and how valuable that is. And so that's what you've done here, supplementing the whole life coverage, plus adding on the term to equal your human life value. Yes. All right. right. Let's see what's on the next page because I can't remember. 
Bear with me one second while I get. That'd be a surprise. That'd be a surprise to all of us. Okay. There we go. And then, yeah. And then this was just showing. Oh, and so what I did um, on the next screen after this is I ran an illustration in Truth Concepts and Enforce Illustration and combined it and just said, okay, what what am I going to show here? So go flip back to the previous page. Basically, here showing what's the net cash value. Um, I got some pending interest in dividends that we're getting ready to pay. What am I going to show as new capital going in and then loan repayments? Um, basically, what I'm doing here is this is my way of showing clients. If I just continue to say pay those loans back, um, again, not that this is actually what I'm going to do, but giving people an understanding of if I've used it as my bank and then I'm going to build it just back up, what does that actually create from an internal return? Because I get a lot of people say, well, if, if I'm putting money in, I'm borrowing against my policies, and then I take a while to pay back and there's all this interest, you know, how does that make sense? Well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm basically showing it here. So if you go to the illustration page where you actually can see the numbers, um, you're, what you're going to realize is long term, now again, this is not what would actually happen, but that total IRR is going to be around 3%, you know, but you're also seeing a sizable loan balance on the policies in that red, you know, the red column, you know, that's showing that if I go out to, um, you know, age 86, you know, I'm going to have almost $3 million of loan interest and I would still have about 6 million in net cash value. And I would still have about 8 million in net death benefit. Those are net of the loans. So if I do something different, let's say I have a liquidity event and you know financially I've got an extra million dollars laying around, I throw that into my policy, pay off the, the loan balance. Well, essentially what's going to happen is all those numbers that are in the loan balance column, they're going to shift over to my net cash value and shift over to my death benefit. The, the, the point that I make when I have this conversation with clients is if, if I just do what I would normally do, which is just continue saving some money, which, you know, again, if you said, okay, and I have people say all the time, what if I want to stop paying on this? Or what if I don't want to put as much money into it? What I will ask them is, okay, are you telling me that you're not going to have the money to put in here any longer? Or are you just saying you're choosing not to pay back? Those are two different things. Because mm -hmm. if you're telling me you're not going to have the money, we need to have a conversation as to why you think that your money is going to go away, even though, like in my instance, I've been doing this for 10 years. So what's going to change in the next 10 years? That's a conversation that needs to be had. Now, if you're telling me you're choosing to not put money in, then we need to have the conversation of, okay, if you don't put it here, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Again, this is, this is where people get into the, the, the conversation and lose the thought process of, this is a cash flow management tool. I'm giving an example of what I would do over the next 10 years that is way below what I've been doing for the last 10 years. But I want to give people an understanding of if I decided just to kind of put some money in here, build it back up, kind of pay back my principal, because that's essentially what I'm doing in this example. I still have a bunch of interest on my policies. I still earn a 3% net. IRR over that lifetime, I still have millions of dollars in cash value and I still have millions of dollars in death benefit. So to me, 
this would be a really good tool that I would have used over my lifetime. But the good news is I'm actually going to be in a substantially better position because I'm not going to just do what I showed here. I'm going to continue funding those policies as much as I can and using that money for whatever business opportunities present themselves. But in a, in a simplistic way, I tried to say, okay, based on how I've used it, that's about a 3% return. I feel pretty confident that if I tell you as a potential client, that's what we can expect if we use this. Okay, 3% tax-free on money that you've used throughout your life. I like that number because oh, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't a stagnant asset. This isn't something that I told you to put money in and not touch it to your 65. This is very active. This is very strategic in the way that we've utilized it. And when you when we start to look at the actual um, policy annual statements, people can see it's very dynamic. There's a lot of different things going on. There's a lot of cash value built up. There's a lot of loans. There's interest being paid back. To me, with these policies and our banking system, I'm operating as my own personal banker. I'm using these tools to try and optimize my financial system. But I'm not doing this in a vacuum. I'm not doing this and not thinking about, well, where's my money going and seeing what it's doing. That's, mm -hmm. that's the part where I think for a lot of people, the financial professional needs to bring that guidance of their whole entire financial picture, not just what they're doing with their policies. Because that, that is by far important. It's foundational, but mm -hmm. that's not everything. You know, I think if you yes. bring this into that picture and help them understand this is foundational and how it can leverage and, and create more capability, there's a lot more value that can be added. Absolutely. And I think, so to be clear, if you're looking at this and you're wondering a little bit what's happening, this is showing your premiums going in. You're only paying premiums at full premium rates or you're paying a full premium the first year a lower premium in year two, and then you're making policy repayments for about the next 11 years and not putting anything else into yeah, the policy, this is, right? Yeah, this is more of an in, yeah, this is more of an in-force illustration showing um, how much I've put in as like basically that annual premium, that 882, that is net cash value plus the 190,000 of premium. So if you go back to the page previously, um, that's where we, I kind of say, okay, well, what am I doing here? So I'm making $190,000 of premiums in the next two years, kind of like what I've been doing. And then I'm making loan repayments for that window of time. And I'm factoring in what's my current net cash value and what is the amount of dividends and interest that are set to be paid to me on these next um, anniversary statements. So Perfect. I'm kind of saying, here's where I am currently you know, I'm 46 now. So when I turn 47, here's what that's going to look like. And then that, that kind of catches everybody up for what the first 11 years look like in my policies. And now what's it going to look like going forward? So I'm, I'm kind of saying based on everything that I've done with my policies and all the loans have been created and how I'm going to repay those and what new premiums I'm going to put in. And the only, only thing here that I'm not doing is I'm not showing any more future loans. Because, you know, if I'm going to show future mm -hmm. loans, I'm going to show other paybacks. So I just try to simplify it and say, yep. now, so you if basically I just said, use this. Yeah. No future loans, no future premiums after this next two years, and right. not repaying the full loan. Right. Just repaying the principal is basically mm -hmm. what I look at. You know, and if I do that, 
my family bank basically earns me about 3% over, over my, you know, over my lifetime, which, which that's really again, good. Again, factors in that I've got two point, almost $2.9 million of outstanding loans at that point, mm-hmm. you know, so which is substantial. Again, if I, yeah, which is, yeah, which a lot of people will say, well, you know, that, uh, that loan interest, it's going to kill this thing. Yeah. If I, if I, if I put money in, take money back out and never replenish it, yes, it, it's not going to work. Just like if I got money in the bank that I saved up, I take it out to buy a car, fix up my house, um, travel, make an investment, and I never resave money. Yeah. I'm not going to have any cash. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to have any emergency fund. It's the same thing. It's cash mm-hmm. flow management 101. You can't save money, use it, and not replenish it. Because at some point in the future, if you're going to need money again, and you go to the well and the well is dry, what, what's going to happen? You, you can't, then you're going to have to borrow from the bank. Then you're going to have to pay financing charges and everything else. We're mm-hmm. here. We're actually, this is a saving mechanism. We're, you know, the interest that, uh, you know, why am I paying interest on my own money? I'm not paying it. I'm being charged the interest. So that's, that's the thing here is you're seeing the interest being charged. I'm not paying the interest back. I'm paying principal. Mm-hmm. I make that point. So people understand that's a choice. Now, if I decided to pay back the interest, it could be so much gross, better. The, yeah. It would be so much better because mm-hmm. my net cash value would go up, but my gross cash value, which if you go to one of the annual statements, that that's the one thing I love about the annual statements. We'll it kind of shows the capacity. So this would, this would be, this is the first policy that we put in, that I put in place. Yep. Um, this was a 20,000 a year policy. So, you know, right now the gross cash value is 281, which is over there on the right hand column. Um, you know, so this is 11 years in, I got 281 of cash, but then if you scroll, keep scrolling, um, to get to the bottom of the screen, you'll see that I've got a loan of 203. Well, that loan is being held against my 281 of cash. So if I pay back, let's say I paid back that 203 loan, like the day before my annual statement came out, my loan balance will be gone. It would be zero. My net cat, my gross cash value would still be 281, but my net cash value would also be 281, right? So the idea is I'm not paying that interest to myself. What I'm doing is I'm paying the loan off to get more access to my capital. Mm-hmm. That's that's all it is. No different than if I was at a bank and I had a line of credit and I borrowed 50,000 and I got and I have interest accruing, if I want to pay that off, I got to pay back my principal and my interest. Mm-hmm. My point is, I don't have to pay back the full entire loan. I right. can pay back whatever amount that I want. If I want to just pay back interest, excuse me, or just pay back principal, that interest would still accrue. I would not have access to the full 281, but I would still have access to my principal and the growth on that money over time, minus mm-hmm. whatever the loan is. That's still a better scenario Absolutely. than what we're doing at the bank. So that, that to me, what I try to tell people is this, these types of policies, they have a finite capacity. Like I can't Very get well said, more yeah. money into it. But right now, my max capacity for what I could have access to is that 280, you know, 281, or maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit below it. You know, insurance companies normally don't want you to 
pull out a hundred percent or access a hundred percent of the policy because then they worry about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But this being this far in, I could probably get all 281 if I paid back that loan of 203. So I'm being charged $9,700 of interest, which is right above that loan amount, you know? Um, so I got charged that amount in interest and I only earned about $6,000 in dividends this past year. So one of the things with this policy that I would look at is when I'm making premium payments to the policy and it policy started at 20,000 and now the the longer I've been in it, it's actually been lowered to 17,743. That's the maximum I can put in. So I don't create a mech. So now what I might do is I go in and I might pay part to the base of the policy and the rest maybe to the loan to basically keep the loan from growing so that I don't impact the, the future growth of the policy. Because you know, right now I've I've kind of used a good amount of the the cash value. Also, too, this would probably be one of those policies when I get a liquidity event or have a lump of cash, I would probably pay back this policy because I know what its capabilities are and I know, you know, what the interest cost is to me. Again, just understanding that, looking at it and saying, hey, how do I optimize my own banking system? Not not right or wrong, but you know, I know what I'm doing with this policy, and and the same can be said when we look at the other other policies as well. Hey, hey, uh, while we're on this ahead. page, I think this is a good time to show that the base policy premium is ten thousand, and the base policy dividend in the lower right is thirty seven hundred and sixty two dollars. The this mm-hmm. the the, uh, the level paid up additions premium, the PUA, is seventy seven forty three. And the paid up addition dividend is 313. 313. Is 313, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. This is a very good point time to, to explain uh, once again to people that most of the dividend is paid on the base policy. Yes. And the reason for that is, is the liquidity is more on the paid up additions than it is on the base policy. And the other thing that they factor in is the amount of the insurance. So the most of the insurance is actually uh, on the, the guaranteed insurance is actually on the base policy. So when you're designing a policy, it's important uh, when you're looking for long-term growth that um, there is a substantial amount of base premium, uh, especially if you believe, like I think a lot of people believe that we are in the lowest interest rate environments that we could possibly be in. And they're only going to go up in the future, or that's really the only possible way they could move. And right. his- historically, they have gone up and down. And so, if you build these things too small of base, you actually could hinder long-term growth if we have a spike in interest rates, which we would have to expect would happen in the next 30, 40, 50 years. It's historically just, you know, if you believe in history, then you're going to believe that's going to happen. Absolutely. Oh, Bruce, and that's actually a, the- great, a great segue because- You'll see them. I don't know if I think it's the next policy. I actually have a policy that I set up um, that was. Let's see. This is the is. next one. So this is the one issued in 2010. I don't know if this is the one you're looking for. Okay, yeah, go some, uh, go to yeah. the one. Go to the one in 20. Uh, go to the one. The the last one. The 2020. Yeah, that one. The reason is this is actually a policy that I set up. It's 100% base, and 
here's the reason I did that. Um, with this particular insurance company, they've got a contract that uh, is is designed to be heavier towards dividends and not and it, so basically between dividends and guaranteed cash value, it's it's more driven towards the the dividends. So I designed this policy because you know this way where it's 100% base because I wanted more of an inflation hedging type policy should interest rates go up you know again not knowing for sure but as you can see the dividend that was paid on this policy which is this was my fifth year in this policy um, so fifth year in the policy cash value is 466 so you're talking 93% cash after 5 years Mm-hmm. But look at the dividend that got paid in that year. It was about about forty four, about forty four thousand. Um, you know, so my thought is that is something I look at as. Oh, and now the way to kind of understand this is they've made some changes to insurance contracts in the last year because of new uh, mortality and expense tables that came out. So this type of policy would not probably operate or. Um, not as efficient, not, not as efficient, not as efficient. Yeah. Right. It would take a little longer, but, but the, the bottom line is this was more dividend driven. Again, I looked at it and said, Hey, this is something I want. I early on in this policy, I did not have near as much access to the cash value, but I knew if, you know, I waited for time to go by, I would get access. And this type of policy it had a break even of about three years. And when I say break even, I mean, that's, that's the window of time I look at when the premium, excuse me, the cash value increase year over year is equal to or greater than the premium. So at that point, I kind of look at the policy basically covering the majority of its cost. And then the policy for every dollar I put in, I'm getting more, uh, it's increasing by more than a dollar. So for me, I looked at it and said, well, I got three years. And then after that, I'm going to get some additional jumps. I got additional jumps in the dividends paid. I got additional jumps in the cash value growth. So um, this is another component to why you would design policies in different ways. And I know, Bruce, that's, that's kind of becoming an industry conversation, right? You know, it's like there's only one way to design a, a policy. And um, that's like saying, well, then everybody needs to use the policies only for this or only for that. It's just, it's just not the case. You know, you, you've got to look at your personal economy, your business economy. If you work with a financial professional that focuses on flexibility, access, control of your money, then how policies are designed should fit you, not, well, this isn't, this is the way everybody should do it. I, you know, that, that doesn't sound like specially designed to me. That, that sounds cookie cutter. Absolutely. I feel like there's no better place to kind of wrap this up. And honestly, I think we could ask a hundred questions. I was trying to go see quickly if we had any questions. And unfortunately, the section, the thing that I'm looking at is not showing me that. So I might be able to check in just a second. But this has been really powerful to see the numbers. And I think one of the most important things that you're getting and feeling, I'm just going to put some words around if you're watching and listening, is that we believe in this stuff enough to put this kind of premium into policies. And I think all of us are funding our policies at what our current income and cash flow situation is, is best for. That doesn't mean we all have the same amount of premium, but we believe in this concept enough to really put ourselves into this 
wholeheartedly. And I think that's number one, what you're seeing with John. And he's not just leaving it, set it and forget it. And coming back 20 years later, he's saying, I'm using these policies. And so I think that that was just a really powerful way to show privatized banking and a family banking strategy where it's not just one policy. This is a system of policies that you're using in your life. And I know your kids are not college age yet there. We could even talk for a long time about how you plan to use mm-hmm. this for them in the future or don't, or how you might start policies on them or not, or how you may expect them to start their own policies on themselves or not. And it's just really interesting as you look at the conversation, what is possible to do not only in your life, but you and your wife's life and your business and all of the impacts that you are going to have through your children as well. Absolutely. That very well said. Well, thank you so much, John and Bruce, both for being on the show today. I think it was really powerful. And we will make sure that you have access to those downloads, the policy statements, and also to the slideshow presentation where it was the summary of everything that we talked about today. We have Derek saying very informative. Thanks, everyone. Um, So thank you for that comment, Derek. And we will get back to any questions that we see in retrospect, as I was not able to watch the chat today as we were sharing the screen. But thank you for being with us on this show. And in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.